We're in a series right now on the kingdom of God, and I know that it's not something that is talked a lot about in our culture, but Jesus talked about it all the time. And I just want to encourage you this morning that when you read the Gospels and you, you see the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus taught, if you'll begin to look for this, you'll be amazed at how often he's talking about the kingdom. It's amazing, but our place in the eternal kingdom is determined by what we do during this short time here on earth that the book of James says is just a vapor. Here for a little while and then it's gone. So, can we be great in the kingdom? Is it just that some are and some aren't? Some are the lucky ones, you know, the gifted and talented, and then there's the rest of us. Here's one of the amazing things about his kingdom. There is no class system. You know, in this world, it can be really difficult to change your social status from one to another. And so often our past, where we're from and what we've done, those kinds of things determine maybe how high we can go. But in the kingdom, we're not bound by our past or our background, our education, our financial status, our position, our influence. None of those things stop us from being great in the kingdom. Even the outcast and the one that the world would disregard can become great in the kingdom. You, know, you just look at the disciples, these fishermen and tax collector and a bunch of other guys. We don't even know what they did. But sometimes they had little faith. Sometimes they were carnal. Sometimes they were prideful. Sometimes they just didn't get it. But eventually, they became great in the kingdom. Jesus tells us how we can be great in the kingdom. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 18 and work our way through verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll notice that this issue comes up a number of times with the disciples. Not just once, but several times it comes up. And sometimes they're arguing about it, you know, and James and John, well, their mommy came to Jesus and asked if, if her boys could sit on his right hand and his left when the, in his kingdom. But this was something that was a big deal to them. And, but we need to understand that in this culture, position and your place in society were huge. It affected everything. I mean, it would determine whether or not you were going to be able to get justice. And it would determine uh, where you sat at a meal. It would even determine, you know, sometimes there was one cup. It would determine if you got to drink out of the cup first or last. But so much of their life was determined by their place in the pecking order of life. They wanted position and power. They're thinking about status and influence they wanted to be big. It's not really that different today, is it? Right. Verse 2, Then Jesus called the little child to him 
and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, unless you change and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he speaks of being a little child, as I said before, he's not talking about us being irresponsible or foolish. He's saying that we have to get rid of all pride and pretense. We have to come to him in humility and sincerity and childlike faith and trust. We come to him humbly because we can't save ourselves. I mean, everybody that's born again, we understand that we can't bring our pride into the kingdom because we have to humble ourselves before this king to even enter in to the kingdom of heaven. But so often, we in the kingdom, I think we find ourselves with the same kind of attitudes that the disciples had, that we want to be important, we want to be recognized. We, in a word, listen, we want to be big. You'll notice that Jesus uses a little child. Pride brings this ambition for position. We want to say, look what I did. For the Lord, of course, right? But look what I did. I tell you, even in ministry, people compare and compete. They want to be better than. They want to be big. Verse 4, Jesus says, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little, this little, little, this is a real important word, this little child, not big, little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, we can be great in the kingdom of heaven when we humble ourselves like a little child. This little child was probably a preschooler, not a big kid. A little child, somebody that has no prestige, no power, no influence, not anything they can do for you. A little child. The disciples are wanting position. They're wanting to be big. But Jesus in turn tells them, you got to humble yourself as this little child. This culture, the disciples saw this little child is nobody. I mean, in that culture, children were thought of like property. They were unimportant. This is why when Jesus was ministering, the disciples were keeping the children away from Jesus until Jesus tells them, let the little children come to me. And so when Jesus tells them, you got to become like a little child, you got to humble yourself as this little child it was exact opposite from what they were thinking, and I think it's exact opposite from a lot of what people think today, even in church. Yes. A little child. You know, older children know about money. I mean, any moms and dads, you got some older kids, they know about money, don't they? But did you know little children? They don't really understand anything about money. And they don't care how much money you make. They don't care if you've got $40 billion or $2. Doesn't matter to them. I'm telling this right, right? We're going to become like a little child, you see, in our mind and our attitudes. I'm not talking about being selfish and foolish or irresponsible, but I'm talking about the way that we look at things. You see, Jesus is, is telling them, unless you become like this little child, 
The little child doesn't care if you're a brain surgeon or you mow lawns. That little child's probably more impressed with the guy with the mower. You know what I'm saying? They don't got a clue what a brain surgeon is. They don't care. What kind of clothes you wear. They don't even care about their own clothes, where they came from. Does it come from Dillard's or Walmart or Goodwill? They don't care. Grandmother cares, but that little child doesn't care, right? right. Makes no difference to them. They're not concerned about such things. Humble yourself as this little child. You see, when Jesus stands this little child before them, they just saw a little person, a low person. And to humble ourselves as a little child means that we no longer think of ourselves as big. Mm. This is so counterculture. This is so against the grain, even in the church world. See? Oh, we want to be important. We want to, you know, mm -hmm. we want recognition. I know. Jesus says we want to be great in the kingdom. We have to humble ourselves and become like this little child. Because in the kingdom, our intelligence, our strength, our place in this world does not determine whether or not we will be used of God or be great in the kingdom. Now, think about this. I, I know I'm, I'm going against the grain this morning. I'm just telling you, this is what our Savior taught. And here, I know some of you may think it's going too far, but listen to this from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. He says, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. See, God doesn't choose the mighty, the strong, the smart, the gifted, the talented to get it done because nobody's going to get the glory except Him. Amen. No flesh shall glory in His presence. The church world right now is getting it wrong where we think it's about celebrity and power and money and this is what it takes. No, we serve a mighty God who does not need any of those things. And our God specializes in using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He gets the glory. Oh, we need to see this. This is the way the kingdom works. We humble ourselves as a little child. A little. We're not big. No, our God is the one who's big and He gets all of the glory. His kingdom is a reverse order from the world. It's counterintuitive. It, you know, you see, it's out of pride the disciples were wanting to be great in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you got to get rid of your pride and humble yourself. In our culture, pride is actually promoted as a good thing. And for a lot of people, pride becomes the driving force behind their ambition and behind their desire to achieve and to be successful. And so pride is exalted as a good thing. There's a much better reason to drive, to push, to want to 
achieve or to succeed is to please Him, to please our King. Not out of some selfish ambition and pride, but for our King. We want to accomplish all that He wants us to. Pride has to be laid aside. If we want to be great in the kingdom, we humble ourselves like little children. The next verse is an important part of Jesus' teaching here. He says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. In the NIV, it just makes it a little simpler. He says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. This verse really completes his teaching on humility because a little child was nobody in this culture. Whether or not we welcome someone unimportant reveals our pride or our humility. Who are we willing to associate with? Who are we willing to sit with? Whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. It shows the humility of our heart. It shows in how we treat people. It shows in who we're willing to sit with. Just like today, people wanted to sit with the movers and shakers. They wanted to sit with the people that were successful. They wanted to sit with the people that had money. They wanted to sit with the popular. Lots of different ways you can say this, but they didn't want to sit with the little child. Have you ever been stuck at the kid table? You know what I'm saying? Mm. But so often, people want to sit with a certain person because they think that person is important. And Jesus says, when you welcome the little child, you're welcoming me. This is an attitude of humility to have that heart that you welcome the little child. You welcome the one who can do nothing for you. You welcome the one that the world considers to be nobody. It takes humility because in our pride, we want to sit at the big table. We want to be with those movers and shakers that have power and influence. We humble ourselves as a little child. And that makes us great in the kingdom. That one makes the next principle a little easier. Jesus says we become great in the kingdom through serving. We read this passage once in this series, but it's Luke 22, 24 through 27. There was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Here it is again. The disciples are fighting over this. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves." Our king, the servant king, he didn't come to have people wait on him. 
The kings of this world had people who took care of their every need. I mean, you, you've read these things in the scripture. They got a, they got a cup bearer, somebody to bring their cup, you know, bring their food to them to taste it, make sure it wasn't poison, whatever. They had somebody waiting on their every need. But Jesus comes and this king, he makes it clear that he didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. The king of kings served others. You know, in our world today, it's still true that the higher people rise in status and position, the more that they're waited on hand and foot. I was reading about how our senators in the Capitol building, when they uh, walk up to an elevator, everybody else has to wait. Nobody else is allowed on the elevator with them. And the elevator is going to go immediately and directly to the floor they want to go to without stopping on another floor. Now that's just a little bitty thing compared to all of the stuff that goes on where people fawn and, you know, wait on those that are in power. And it's such a stark difference when we look at our Savior who had none of that. Even when they wanted to make him their earthly king, he would have none of it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 45, Jesus says, Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was the servant of all. And in the kingdom, the greater the authority, the greater the serving that is required, and the greater the sacrifice. He came to serve, and then he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, this is something that we need to understand about being an authority, is that it is a place to serve. Not just a place to have your way. No, it is a place to serve. It is a place to give of yourself. And I want to tell you this morning that each of us in the body of Christ have been called to serve. Every part of the body of Christ is important. And I think some people, you know, they think that they don't matter at all because they're not one of those gifted and talented. They're not one of the movers and shakers. That's not what the kingdom is about. All of us can serve in the body of Christ. All of us matter in His kingdom. It's not about position or status or recognition. It's about serving God and serving people. Amen. You know, Jesus put serving and authority together. It's important we understand this servant leadership. See, the one who leads, He serves but that doesn't mean that he does what they tell him to do. Right. Jesus certainly didn't do what the disciples told him to do. If he did, he would have never have gone to the cross because Peter tried to stop him. What did Jesus do? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. He knew that he had to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, he served them, but they didn't tell him what to do. I want to tell you, if you serve in the children's department, you're serving those children, but that doesn't mean they get to tell you what to do. I hope not. You're going to be in a world of 
trouble if you let those kids tell you what to do. No, when you serve them, you do what you know is best for them. See, if a man is the, the head of his house and he's leading his home, how does he do that? He leads them by serving. But that doesn't mean that, you know, he gets to have the TV control all the time because I'm the head. Well, watch what I want to watch. It doesn't mean that he gets to do what he wants to do. But neither does he do, you know, let's take a vote. This silly stuff that the world thinks, they got four-year-olds voting. No, it means that who, whoever's the head of that house, that they do what is best for their family. Not what they want, selfishly, but what they know is right and best for their family. That's servant leadership. And Jesus modeled that for us. Amen. And He paid the ultimate price for us. But He makes it so clear that even though he had authority, he served. You know, the Apostle Paul over and over calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ, but he not only served the Lord, he also served people. 1 Corinthians 9.19, he says, Though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now, he wasn't talking about being a people pleaser. In fact, he said, if I should seek to please men, I, I should not be the servant of Christ. He's not talking about just trying to do what everybody wants him to do. But he's talking about that when it comes to his own selfish desires and what he wants, his personal preferences, he said, I've laid all of that aside. I've, I've made myself the servant to all that I might be able to reach more. That was his heart, a true servant, and what an impact that he had on the world. I want you to understand the very nature of serving is to meet someone else's need. It's not about what we want when we lead, but it's about what others need. And I just want to say as pastor this morning that I so appreciate those of you that serve at Grace Church. And I, I just want to tell you, listen, in the kingdom... Working with children is just as important as working with adults. I know the world doesn't view it that way. I know the church world doesn't do it, view it that way, but I believe God does. You, know, you receive his little one like this little child, you're receiving me. That's what Jesus said. But here's the amazing thing about children's ministry is that you not only get to change their eternity, you get to change their whole life. How wonderful to grow up serving the Lord. But that ministry, I tell you, it takes the heart of a servant because so often there's not a lot of accolades or prestige or recognition. And that's the way it is with a lot of the serving in the body of Christ. I so appreciate our worship team, not because of their talent, but because of their heart to serve. They're not up here for accolades or to get to show off. None of them are like that. And I, I hope that you do tell them thank you and let them know how, what a great job they do. But it's not about that, really. That's not why they're up here. They're doing it for the Lord and to serve God's people. And you see, because of that heart, they lead us into the presence of God. 
Now, some people, you know, they don't have up and front gifts, and so they think that theirs is not important or that their serving is not important. But it is. Sometimes it is the friendly people in the foyer that make all the difference in whether or not somebody is going to be receptive to the word of the Lord and whether or not they're ever going to come back to church. You see, there's so many of you that serve in different capacities and you're making a difference in the kingdom. You're making a difference in people's lives. I thank God for our security team that's just watching over things, taking care of things. Amen. There's so many. I thank God for Heather running the sound and different ones helping with the video. And you see, we could just go on and on. All of our youth workers, what a great job our youth workers do. I want to tell you, our youth group, it ain't average. It is awesome. But that doesn't happen by accident. There are people who are serving and working. And I just thank the Lord for all of you. If I didn't mention what you do, please forgive me. I acknowledge there's too many things for me to remember to mention this morning. But I thank God for you. So many of you that serve. You know, the Bible tells us that if we serve faithfully, one day we'll hear those words. Now, if you go to many funerals, you hear these words said a lot, whether they apply or not. But if you serve faithfully, you'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The next principle is seldom talked about. I think the first two are talked about a little bit. This one is almost never talked about. It is, again, one of those teachings of Jesus that people ignore. That's just not popular at all. I know you're excited to hear it now, aren't you? (laughs) It's found in Matthew chapter 5, that famous Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful, concise amalgamation of the teachings of Jesus, and it gives us so much. But in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us that we can be great in the kingdom by doing and teaching the commands. I knew y'all were going to shout when I read that, when I said that. Here it is, here it is in Matthew 5, 19 and 20, whoever... Therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now just so we get this in context, I want us to go ahead and read verse 20. And then we're going to back up a little bit and talk about 19. But verse 20. No, I'm going to read them both together. We're going to do it again. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us very plainly that if we break the commands and we... Oh, wait a minute. I left out a word. Did anybody catch it? The least of these commands. If we break the least of these commands and teach others 
to break the commands will be least in the kingdom. But if we obey those commands and teach others to obey them, we'll be great in the kingdom. Now just right here before we talk any further about this, I just want to say this isn't just talking about preachers and teachers specifically because all of you have influence and I hope that you parents are teaching your children and whoever you might share the Lord with or your friends that are lukewarm and not really serving God, you need to be helping them to understand this principle that Jesus is talking about that it's so important that we obey even the least of these commandments. And I want to say to you that he needs to unconditionally be our king, that we obey him unconditionally to do his will. That's a sign that the kingdom of God has truly come in our life. We can't say that Jesus reigns in us, that he's our king and our Lord, and yet live like he's not. Now, verse 20, he says, for... I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, we all know, I mean, if you're born again, you know this, that none of us can be righteous before God in our own righteousness. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. And we are made righteous by faith. We have right standing with God because of the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. But here's the thing. That is not what this is talking about. If you do a word study on the word righteous or righteousness, yes, sometimes it is talking about that right relationship, right standing with God that we can only have by faith in the blood of Jesus. But in the context of this passage and many others, in fact, it's not just talking about that right standing, it's talking about right doing. And in the context where Jesus just said... If you break the least of these commandments and teach others to do so, you'll be least in the kingdom. And if you obey these commands and you teach others to do so, you'll be great in the kingdom. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll in no way enter the kingdom. See, a lot of people think that, oh, the, right, the, the Pharisees, they were so righteous. No, they weren't at all. Well, they kept, they kept all the law. No, they didn't at all. In fact, the Pharisees had a set of commandments that they considered to be the big ones, you know, the important ones. And then they had the lesser ones. That's why Jesus is specifically saying the least of these commands. And I'm saying it this morning because it is still an issue. We may not have an actual list, but there are a lot of believers who have this mindset that, you know, I don't do that big sin. I don't do that big sin. And hey, this is just a little thing. Praise God, we're under grace. It don't matter. It matters to Jesus. Amen. And it matters in the kingdom. And there's a whole lot of this lukewarm attitude that I'll obey on the big things, but you know... It's okay. It's all cool with Jesus. They don't get that from Jesus. I know it's not popular. I know it's not the pop theology of the day. I also know it's truth. And you read it in the Bible for yourself. It's so clear. He goes on, listen to the context of when he says this. He goes on from there and one after another, he gives us principles and 
teaching things that we're supposed to obey. Pharisees, they're just good rule keepers. They kept rules made by men. But we don't want a religion of rules. We want to obey our king, though. So many pick and choose which commands they'll obey. And they think it doesn't matter because we're under grace. But Jesus doesn't lower the standard of doing what is right. He raises the bar because it has to be from the heart. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. Just continuing on in this chapter. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. This is so much higher of a standard than thou shalt not kill. I mean, I hope that most of us are keeping that one, right? But Jesus so raises the bar when he says, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of judgment. Raises the bar. See, a lot of people have this idea that under the Old Testament, you know, you had to keep all these rules. But now in the New Testament, hey, it's all cool. It's all good. We just got to remember to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. Yeah, but Jesus said on those two, hang all the law and the prophets. That doesn't mean we get a pass on all that. Matthew 5, 27 through 29, he says, you've heard it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Does that ever need to be taught in this generation when pornography is so rampant and so many have been overtaken with that sin? Jesus said, you're committing adultery in your heart. Oh, did he ever raise the bar? Do we believe the teachings of Jesus? Do we believe that we're supposed to obey what our king says? Yes! It's not about just the outward, but it's the motive, the desires of our heart. You know, in this chapter, he talks about how to treat others. He says to love your enemies. Love your enemies. I think there's a whole lot of believers that just flat won't do it. They're living in disobedience to their king. It matters. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Curse them back. Oh, no. Bless them. Bless them. Somebody mistreats you, what do you do? Yeah, bless them, but... But what does Jesus specifically say? When somebody mistreats you, you pray for them. That's right. You pray for them. You get mistreated, you're going to get them, or are you going to pray for them? This is the teaching. These are the commands of our Savior in this very chapter where he's talking about obeying the least of the commands. He's giving, the, giving us these commands. We're supposed to live by these principles every day of our life. 
And yet so often we just pass them off as no big deal, like the Pharisees. We say those aren't really that important. That's all just in that one chapter and more. But in chapter 6, he talks about our attitude when we pray and how to pray. And then he says that we must forgive or our Father will not forgive us. And I know a lot of people don't believe the words of Jesus, but that's what he says. He tells us how we're to give, and he tells us not to seek things, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then in chapter 7, he starts off with telling us not to judge. We're not allowed to stand in judgment and condemnation of others and always critical and picking at others. We're not supposed to judge like that. And he goes on and concludes with this. In Matthew 27, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. He said to be great in the kingdom, we have to obey the least of his commands and teach others to also. Do you know it's part of the Great Commission? Oh, it absolutely is. Matthew 28, beginning from verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's not all teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. This is part of the mission, the job of the church, is that we are to go into all the nations. Yes, tell them about Jesus. Get them to pray the prayer and get saved and make Jesus their Savior and Lord. And you teach them the big things. No, Jesus said teach them all. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Yeah, that thing about loving your enemies, that thing about forgiving all that I have commanded you, teach them. You see, we as a church, that's our job. We want to disciple people. We want to teach them all that Jesus commanded. So there's a lot of people that know Him as Savior, but not as Lord. And it brings so much destruction and trouble and heartache in their life. We need to teach them what it means to truly let Jesus be king in their life. Here's another passage I read a few weeks ago, but you see all three of these principles here. Jesus, our Lord and King, is the perfect example. He is the greatest in the kingdom. It's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Who's greatest in the kingdom? The one who serves And coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Who's greatest in the kingdom? The one who humbles himself like a little child and became obedient to the point of death. Who's greatest in the kingdom? The one 
who obeys the commands and teaches others to do it also. Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the greatest in the kingdom. And I want to remind you this morning that when Jesus came on the scene preaching, he came preaching the good news of the kingdom, but he also preached repentance to make a change. Peter, when he preached, he preached, repent of your sins, be converted, make a change. And then the times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. It's Acts 3.19. I just want to tell you, repentance is not a dirty word. It's not just some old religious word. No, it is something that's very powerful. When you turn to God and you, you ask God to forgive you and you make a change in your life. And some of you here this morning, I'm not just talking about the lost being saved. I'm talking about some of you that have been judging other people. That you get free from that. I'm talking about some of you that have been struggling with that anger. That you get free from that. That you turn to God and you say, Father, I want this out of my life. Some of you hadn't had the right heart about giving. You turn to God. And you see, repentance is to be free from that old mindset. And instead, you embrace Him as your King to truly and fully obey Him. Somebody that's mistreated you and in your heart, there's some bitterness, unforgiveness. You turn and you say, I'm going to pray for them from now on. I'm going to start praying for them. You get free. I want you to stand with me. I want our prayer partners to come.